Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. Once again, I'm Musa Konga, joined by Ryan Hun, Michael De Silva, sadly indisposed, but we are joined by the wonderful Jonathan Harding to discuss his book, Mensch Beyond the Cones. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. You are first guest in the actual Rabona Podcast. First guest in the studio. Incredible. Um, we'll get to Jonathan's book uh, in a moment, but before we go there, we'll Before we do with... go there, actually, a lot of disclaimer for potential audio nerds. If you hear some kind of like rumbling in the background, there's a thunderstorm just kicked off. So don't worry. Yeah. We're all right, I think. This is, I think, our second podcast in inclement weather. Oh, really? We a, yeah, I think we had one thunderstorm podcast before. Your memory's better than mine. With appropriately fiery content. But uh, no. <laughs> yeah, so sorry to audio nerds. There's a bit of rumble in the background. But yeah, let's get into the um, the Bundesliga to start with. What a shame. As a neutral, I have to put as a disclaimer. I don't know. I, I feel different about it. I've watched. A lot of the Bundesliga over the last seven years, and I thought it was the best season we've had in the last seven years. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, Bayern Munich won, it's the same outcome. But, you know, it took until the, the last 30 minutes of the final game of the season to know who was going to be champions. Yeah. And that, for me, is pretty entertaining. And both teams had their failings throughout the year. Mm. And the fact that on the final day, Bayern Munich won it, I think goes a testament really to Ian Robin and Frank Ribery, who were basically just sat there and said we're not going to let this mm. slip for want of a better phrase right right i don't think there was any doubt that they were going to lose this at home on the final day it, there were so many good things about this season as much as i can understand the inevitable what a shame it is that Bayern Munich won again i think we should flip the script and look at it in a positive sense nobody expected Dortmund to be here Kovac has done a really good job in interesting circumstances and it's probably right. going to get sacked anyway and you've you've just got so many different stories this season. Actually, I love that you've done that because... Such the, a half, glass half full. Yeah, and also, I mean, there's a lot of love for Kovac in this podcast uh, yeah. because came in difficult circumstances, had to renew a squad and what he's brought out of players like, you know, Gnabry, for example, who's absolutely flourished and that is, you know, Gnabry is just a wonderful success story and such a tribute to what I think Kovac does best, which is take players who have this incredible potential and really just flesh them out. We spoke about it after the Classica, didn't we, when we had that press conference. Someone asked him about whether the players were going to go and celebrate after the 5-0 win. And he kind of went in. Yeah. And we were saying at the time that you could just imagine being a young player with someone like Kovac, with all his Bundesliga experience. It reminded me, not to a, such a large extent, but you remember when Pep had the moment in the press conference. About with, Mourinho. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of like, oh, this guy's got our back. He actually cares, yeah. you know. And we've said it a million times on this podcast before that transition isn't easy. Oh no matter goodness. what club you're at, Bayern Munich, Manchester City, Barca, anyone. And there's a massive transition gone on this season at, at Bayern that he's managed, I think, much better in the second half of the season, which is no coincidence because he's been in the job a few months. And his methods have come to the fore. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I think it's a strange situation because he must have known from the beginning of the season that he wasn't the first choice. 
and he wasn't. You know, let's make no mistake about it. When he was appointed, it was clear that he wasn't the first choice. I mm. think Tuchel was before him in in the pecking order. So I think it must have been very difficult for him. He's not had it easy. In a lot of rumblings, we had that extraordinary press conference from from Erle Hernes and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge early in the season. They've had so many situations where Bayern Munich have underperformed against teams where you thought they normally just dispatch of them. That's not normal for them. They had that game against Liverpool at Anfield where they played horrendously unattractive football, but mm. very effective football, which was sort of classic Kovac back to Frankfurt roots. How do I get the most out of this situation? And yet in the second leg, he was exposed for not having the next level of tactical knowledge. Uh, and then yet on the same time, at the same time, he's gone on and won the Bundesliga in the, one of the tightest title races I can remember. So it's, a, it's such a difficult review I think yeah you know can he take this team further I agree with you that he's certainly made Nabry a better player and, and younger players like that but I think there is a certain division in the changing room more senior players like Mats Hummels or Jerome Boateng for example I'm not sure maybe even Ribery and Robin I'm not sure how they feel about him moving the club forward is he the right coach to take them to the next level that's the question isn't it because Bayern Munich is always about the next level mm. the Bundesliga is the expectation right can you enhance the team to uh beyond a Champions League semi-final can you get us back to the glory land? You know, that's that's the bar, really, at Bayern Munich. And I think there are some big question marks about whether Niko Kovic can do that. What I'd like to see him given the chance. Do, but what but, do they have to do? So sorry to jump in there, because I'm just fascinated by, you know, there's a couple of very good managers on the market at the moment. Well, there's an interesting conversation to be had about managers generally. Don't you, I think we look at sort of take a, a bigger perspective over this. How many managers have been sacked after good seasons? Or how not in a job after a good season. This this summer is going to be a very interesting one. I personally think that Allegri is the perfect or will be the perfect replacement, even though Kovac leaving is a strange one because I expect them to win the double. Mm. But Rummenigge has made no secret of his love for Italy generally and Italian coaches. Uh, I can imagine that bringing in someone like Allegri who's got that tactical knowledge that's a little bit beyond what Kovac has and has got that pedigree that Kovac hasn't got that yeah. matches a certain level for Bayern Munich. Seems like a logical fit. I think it would be incredibly unfair on Niko Kovac, but it would be a return to Bayern Munich as FC Hollywood. Do you think that people like Ribéry and Robin moving on and also it looks like Boateng's going to go, but with new players coming in as well, do you think that gives Kovac a little bit more of an advantage for staying, clearing out those older guys? I don't know. It's difficult. I think Boateng's definitely going to go. If you watch the pictures of the title celebrations, he was sat with his daughter's just yeah. talking to them while everyone's celebrating. I mean, that's a guy who's leaving, yeah. for sure. I think the Robin and Ribery thing is really interesting because it's less about Kovac and more about Bayern Munich, the history of the club. That's at the end of an era. Mm. And it's two years late, if we're honest. Yeah. They right. dragged that. Yeah. Now, they're lucky that they have Nabry, who's come through this season, and Coman, if he can stay fit, for me, is an obvious replacement. He's shown on a number of occasions this season that he's the perfect replacement out wide. Mm. But you still have to develop those players. You talked about transition. You're starting a whole new era. Mm. Now, the question is, do you want Niko Kovac to be the coach to take you into that era? And I think that's, that's the, the yeah. sticking point for the, the guys at the top at Bayern. One thing I want to say, quickly skipping across to what might have been, because we're talking about transition, the Dortmund game against Gladbach, the, the final goal, there was a really beautiful and poignant moment where Royce, Goetze, Pulisic, and I think who put it in? Who was um, sorry, Royce, Goetze, Pulisic, and Sancho combined for the final goal. And I remember thinking, ah, oh, it's just such a shame that front four or that configuration of four wasn't able to unite better or gel better just because that four is so potent. It's almost like sort of four generations of German football brilliance in <laughs> one 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah there are four stories there. Yeah. I mean, mm. Pulisic has had a dreadful season right. because of Sancho. Yeah. And I don't think he was ready for it because I don't think anybody was ready for Sancho. No, Sancho came in as that young talent and has left now this season as one of the best players in the league. Right. Hands down. Yeah. Nobody expected. He's the best player of the year for me. Young player of the year. Absolutely. No one was expecting that that level of development. And you've got Royce, who, in my opinion, just played his best season in his career. I think he's been fit. Yeah. He was unbelievable. He was a leader. He was fantastic. And you've got Goethe, who I think has played the best season in the last five years. Basically, mm. I think since he left Dortmund, this was his best campaign because he was finally in a system and in a team uh, that worked for him. If you put all of those narratives together, you do ask yourself, how did they not end up with anything? But this Dortmund team is very young, defensively very naive at times, and they just made too many individual mistakes. I think that's my issue, though. I mean, to say that Dortmund should have won the title is easy because you can look at some games and say, OK, wow, you had horrendous results against the bottom three. I mean, you drew nil-nil with Hanover. You drew nil-nil with Nuremberg. You lost to Dusseldorf. You can't do that. Roman Berkey even said it after the game against Gladbach on the final day. He said, look, Bayern had that experience and with no disrespect to those teams, but we have to be beating teams like Hanover and Dusseldorf. And he's right. Yeah, they need to be automatic. They do. But you can't expect that of a team that has just come together. There are a lot of new pieces. And if you think about where they were 18 months ago, of course, that is a rapid transition. So as much as it's fair to say okay, maybe they should have done better and they had those games. You could also say Bayern Munich had horrific results against the bottom teams. Yeah. I mean, they drew with Nuremberg. You know, they drew with Dusseldorf, amazingly, in Munich with that Luka Bakio hat-trick. So there are p- parallels between the two. And maybe those teams were just good. I mean, this is the thing, credit to those teams as well. Like, they really punched back, didn't they? I mean, Dus- Dusseldorf, certainly. I mean, Hanover and Nuremberg, classic case of two teams that are not good enough for top flight, but probably better than most of the teams in second division. But Dusseldorf, definitely. Dusseldorf had... A, one of the best seasons in terms of... That guy, Luka Bakio, as a player, yeah, a striker. Good recruitment as well in the summer. Just yeah. good mm-hmm. recruitment. They did a good job. The one thing I will say about Dortmund, uh, just before we move on, is that great teams don't miss those chances. And if Borussia Dortmund were a, were a great team or this team was a great team for Borussia Dortmund, they would have won the title. Real talk. And I think part of that problem <clears throat> is that the expectation around Dortmund, especially in recent years, is that they will always challenge Bayern and now mm. it's a two-team league. Mm. It's not true. No. It's always been a one-team league, really, in the last 10, 12 years. Yeah. You know, there have been some exceptions in the title race where basically Bayern Munich made some bad errors and then one team had a good year. But it's always been Bayern's league to lose. And I think this perception, because of the way that the Bundesliga has been marketed uh, as being a two-team league, is wrong. It's not. Borussia Dortmund are still growing, they're still developing. Yes, they're further along than most of the other teams in the league, but they're still miles behind Bayern Munich. And I don't like the comparison between the two because they're two different clubs. Yeah, totally different. And that's that plays a role in the title race. But again, I do think there are great teams and there are good teams. And Borussia Dortmund had the chance this season to be a great team. Yeah. One thing that was really, you could see through various points in the season was just figuring out their front, the configuration of their front four. You know, there was games where like Jakob Brun Larsen was starting as the furthest man forward and it never looked balanced. And they struggled against Hertha, for example, who can be tricky to beat at home sometimes. Oh yeah, Hertha, my goodness. But, yeah. I mean, they're always a stone in the shoe, yeah. yeah. But I think the thing why I say it was a shame in terms of a, from a neutral perspective was that they got so far out in front. Yeah, they weren't expected to be there, but they had lifelines as well. They could afford to lose a classic of 5-0. Yeah, you that's know? it. They could even afford to draw away to, to Bremen you know and being 2-0 up 
But it was oh, like that was that was the game I think for me. It I mean, was that in the Schalke game back to back. The which Schalke, I think yeah, was... the Schalke game is the derby for me is the best game in the Bundesliga every every yeah. season. Schalke against Dortmund is the most exciting yeah. fixture. But that's the game you can't ever go into and say Schalke are having one of their worst seasons of all time. Dortmund should easily walk this because no, the derby. nature of the game is totally different. It's the same with Liverpool, Everton. It's the same with uh, Manchester United, Man City. Every every it's just a not game you can predict. Yeah, and that proved the case. But the Bremen game really hurt. I think from a neutral perspective, watching that, you're 2-0 up with 20 minutes to go. Where's the composure to see that game out? And can I be slightly a- cynical? I'm going to criticise the manager here. Yeah, and you're Much right. So I love him. You're right. Much yeah. so I love him. Look, see, when you're ahead like that and you know that your team hasn't got winners, and I'm going to bring it back to Alex Ferguson because I know he gets talked about a lot, but you need to mention these. When they brought in um, Henrik Larsson, because... He knew at that point to Alex Ferguson, we need just a little more experience, someone to steady the ship. He brought Larson in for like just a few games, just a two and a half month loan, but that impetus made all the difference. I suppose the equivalent could have been bringing in someone like, I don't know, you know, like an Abadal figure or a, or a Pedro, just someone who could be on the bench or in training to be like, this is how we do this. Mm. You know what I mean? It wouldn't, it wouldn't have taken much. And the, the lack of vision, I think, to bring in a player like that or a couple of players in the dressing room who could just be leaders. It was like when Arsenal gave Bergkamp a one-year contract when he was like 36, 37, just so he'd be on the training ground. And I think that, you know, maybe this is a bit unfair on Lucien Favre's teams, but they're emotional teams. Oh, he's they're an emo- emotional guy. Yeah, they're emotional, redemptive. Well, actually, this is maybe foreshadowing some of the stuff in your, in your book later, but you need to have a separate gear. You need to have a passion gear, yeah. but you need to have the kind of the ruthlessness. And I just don't think Dortmund... It was almost like their floor was baked into the pie. Does yeah, that make sense? I, yeah. I think there were points where Favre has to hold his hands up and say he was at fault. I mean, they lost a Schalke game and he said the title race was over. That's yeah, also a, that major, I mean, that's that. a major mistake because also 10 minutes later, you had uh, Michel Zork saying something else, right? Yeah. So you, that you can't have internal disagreement in And then it was situation. back on the following day, literally, yeah. anyway. And so then it, and like, exactly, yeah. because of the Bayern result. Yeah. And, and I... I think when you start doing that, also the classic, why did he put Royce up front? Yeah. Massive mistake, you know? It's interesting you say that about leaders because I think Götze and Royce are those leaders. And I think they did step up in, I think, Royce more than anyone. But the problem is defensively... They Sankadu. didn't have anyone. You've got Sankadu, people about who need a, they need a, a yeah. senior partner to help they them didn't out. Have, yeah. And the yeah. only player who was senior in that situation is Lucas Piszczek. And he mm. needs a seventh hip because he hasn't, he's run I mean, his, his body thing, to like, the ground, right? Schmelzer and Piszczek have injury problems this season. Losing Hakimi at the time they lost oh, yeah. Hakimi and was doesn't really want to play bad. No. He doesn't like him. So. Um, you know, Weigel, Guerrero going back to left back. Like, I mean, as much as I love Euling Weigel as he a player, regressed. he's not a centre-back. It basically just felt like Dortmund were kind of firefighting since Christmas in yep. a weird way in terms of configurations at the back, configurations at the front. You know, Zagadou's still, is he even 20 yet? Wonderful player, you know? but needs so it's a like, senior partner. That's the thing. Him. It's yeah. like Arsene Wenger came out a few years ago saying, you know, young defenders will cost you points, but you have to put them in that scenario yeah, to learn. you have learns. to play them. You have and, to play it through. I think Zagadou will be brilliant. And I think him, Akanji, and when Hakimi's back fit, providing that, well, he's definitely in there next season. If he'll stay after, I don't know. You know, they've so got. I just, um, so I just sorry. thought the thought of Arsene Wenger on this podcast just filled me with such an indescribable joy. <laughs> I hope he's I doing all right. I hope he's doing all right. Arsene, if you're hearing this, I know you listen in. I know that Arsene, I know you've got a burner account on Twitter, which you retweet Rabona from. But if, you, if you're hearing this, you're welcome anytime in Rabona Towers. Arsene sorry, knows 7523 or something. <laughs> um, but sorry, you know, they've got some good good additions coming in next season. You know, Schultz will be a good signing, I think. I think yeah. he's a little a little bit underrated outside of the Bundesliga. And supposed to be close as well, which would which be massive. Which is massive. And also Incredible. Hazard. Yeah. So, 
you know still that isn't much that's still that makes their attack top heavy like yeah. that makes the team top heavy they could really do they could really do they with depth it like in defense depth in defense and then someone else in midfield because i think vitzel's been great i think delaney i just I want think, like I think, I, I, i'm a, just i'm a massive delaney fan by the way but there's some times where i think you need a little bit more legs in that midfield just as options because it can be with him and vitzel in there sometimes you just think well, you've seen them get overrun a couple of times and yeah. it's a bit like maybe someone a little bit more dynamic, maybe with a bit more bite to them who can just give them another dimension that, might feel, that oh, midfield. That's interesting. I think Delaney is that bite though. I think the problem is that Vitzel is dynamic and he's just so good. Mm. I mean, there were so many times where he would win the ball and then charge forward and drive that impetus. I think Delaney is limited, but I think he's very good at what he does. I think mean, the problem is that their alternative is Julian Weigel, who only works in a Thomas Tuchel system. Mm. Yeah. And he regressed not, a bit, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, he's had a difficult season because basically he realised when they weren't playing the way that Tuchel had them playing, he wasn't going to get a look in in the holding role. Yeah. And then he only came into the centre-back role where he had a couple of really impressive games when the injury crisis was so thick and so deep that he had to just step in at the last minute. Again, though, I can't think of very many injury problems that Bayern Munich had this season. Now, I know that they have a better depth. They have greater depth than Dortmund. But if you have Hummels, Boateng and Zula to choose from for most of your games, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. And if you don't, and in Dortmund's situation, they lost a Kanji, who's a big piece of that defence. Yeah. Right. And then you have to play Zagadou and Weigl. That's not going to be enough, even against gig. teams like Dusseldorf. So yeah. Shorthanded. Oh, well. Also, the race for Europe, by the way. Can we just have like a tiny Well, this is the thing. Oh, Before wow. we go, oh. I wanted to shout out. Leverkusen. Peter Boschball. Levels. The race for Europe this year in Can you in, believe in the Kai Havertz? The Kai Havertz situation. Like from <laughs> I can't believe that some teams are not falling over each other to buy him. Seventeen I, goals. The kid is what, nineteen? Yeah, but I'm nervous about that because I see Kai Havertz doing all this amazing stuff in but Germany. He would they wouldn't be in the Champions League without him. But I see Manchester United fans getting twitching. I'm like, you know, that sounds awful. He's smart enough. I know it sounds awful, so it's like, don't go near that club. And, and I said, that's my club. That's what I'm, Sancho said. I love United, but as a football fan, I'm like I don't want develop. any young players yeah. when you need to develop your career maybe go there at 28 when you've yeah. done a bit but yeah. not at this point no, no, right. if, if Man City get rid of Leroy Sané I could see them going for a sneaky bit and I can see them getting rid of he's Sané such a, he's so such, weird he is someone that you can totally right imagine a year from now they've just lifted the quadruple but Pep is stood there in front of Kai Havertz with his arms around him doing Lecturing all this him. like you know that was, for, that was for the cameras it always is it always though is. it's the same with Kimmich with Sterling like, I think the Kimmich one I don't know I think ever since that one he's known it's for the cameras the one with Sterling was unnecessary he's become a parody of himself yeah, yes. the I the, think so in that the, sense the Redmond the Nathan Redmond one was peak pep yeah that yeah. <laughs> no 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 no. here's here, the golden rule of peak pep is that you've never seen peak pep yeah you've never seen peak Ramos peak pep there's always more levels yeah, yeah. that's deep I like it yeah. well, we need to shout out Leverkusen because also yes. some really good goals in that game yeah there were and Julian Brandt's goal was super so so good I haven't seen it. Confession, I haven't seen it. No, it's fantastic. Uh, Do you remember Hakam Ziyech's goal against Spurs? It's a bit like that, but higher. Yeah, top corner. Oh, no. Right yeah. in the top. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Levels, right in the levels. upper 90. Oh, 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 upper 90. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, a little bit sad for Paul Dardai's last game to be absolutely smashed like that, though. But Bosch ball, when it gets going, honestly, is very effective. But it is limiting because there are times where if he don't score in the first 25 minutes, Leverkusen are massively exposed. Yeah. So that's my concern about them in the Champions League. They will be incredibly fun to watch but they can win 5-1 or lose 5-1 was it Biel as Guardiola said about Bielsa if they could play that way every week they win the league every week but you can't no. and I think if every game was half an hour yeah, long exactly they would Bosch win teams league. would win and Bielsa yeah. teams would win but yeah. You, yeah you can't do that for Frankfurt had the biggest drama of all day they were getting spanked by Bayern thinking that they were out <laughs> yeah. right and then Mainz do a job on Hoffenheim in the second half which gets them back in 
Bremen beat Leipzig, and that's not enough. They fall one point short. So much drama. So much drama. And then Union didn't do enough. Just and they about. had a chance in the 94th minute. Not, in terms it. of drama, it reminds me of the second... It reminds the second of, division, though. No, 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 no. In terms of drama, it reminds me, it's quite a random reference, of like the first term, second year at uni, when everyone comes back from summer holidays <laughs> and breaks up. You know this one's... Yeah. <laughs> everyone's... Uh, <laughs> and it's like, have you heard about Margaret? Yeah, yeah. She, oh my God, yeah. Oh, yeah Sarah, can you believe it? just breaks up. It wouldn't be a robotic podcast without some kind of relationship reference analogy there somewhere. So for the playoff, Stuttgart Union. Who's your money on? Wow. We have, I mean, it's worth saying that away goals count because I think the atmosphere in Berlin will make a big difference. Whereas I don't know how great the atmosphere will be in Stuttgart. But you have to fancy the Bundesliga team. Like I I hate to say it, but the experience is always on the side. And again, I had this conversation last year because I was fed up with the the system. I think it should be three up, three down. I 100% agree. I would love to see the playoff system that we have in the championship in the Bundesliga, but you can't do it in Germany because 18 teams is too few. Mm. And ultimately what you'd end up rewarding there is a side and if you look at the table the second division is more bonkers than the first division's european race on the final day the second division is basically like that yeah. times a thousand like our championship yeah, in it's the, unbelievable yeah. paderborn needed to get a good result in dresden lost 3-1 union go 2-0 down everybody loses but goes somewhere <laughs> hamburg were meant to go up got hamburg, cleansing yeah exactly. got cleansing by paderborn got cleansing and then and then <laughs> one on the last day needed 17 more goals <laughs> Get in. <laughs> Incredible. You can't make it up. It's unbelievable. The happiest team of all is Sam Pauli. They're like, haha, we still have you. Yeah. You're still ours. Yeah. You get, we get to still play you twice. Team a year. Top, but that, that's the thing. I, I'd love to, there's a part of me that love to see the playoff system that we have in the championship just because of the drama. But you'd end up rewarding teams in what, sixth, seventh in those positions. And that's half the table. Yeah, and the only way they could do it is expanding both the top two yeah. to 20 teams, yeah. which they're then bringing people up But I've up heard from that the they field. want to reduce the Premier League. They're talking about reducing the Premier League to 18 because English teams don't, they can't play that many games. Hmm. Imagine Ooh, it. Imagine it. I'm sure Spicy. we'll cover that when they drop will, that great idea again. <laughs> yeah, Future right. Football Part 3 podcast. That'll be number three, won't it? Probably. Future Football They're coming part three. thick and fast at the moment. Before we forget, we have to get into uh, the FA Cup final. Should we take a quick break first? And then Let's do the break first. Okay, cool. Of course. See you then. the break. So we're back. We're back and we're discussing the FA Cup final, perhaps on and off the pitch. The tennis game. <laughs> yeah, my goodness. Yeah, it is. I mean, crazy. But here's the thing about this I want to talk about. Um, so obviously the score 6-0. City win 6-0 against Watford, helping themselves to a big slice of Watford pie. <laughs> and the wild thing about it is it's almost like you have to... St- you have to hit these teams when the Death Star is still warming up. You, and the, the early miss. Yeah, the absolutely. early miss. And Pereira has had a great year. And I felt sorry for this guy it's because straight at him. a great hire, you know, a fantastic yeah. hire, like a really enlightened piece of scouting. I think from River Plate, I think he came and should have scored that. And you could that. see, you could see them, Watford knew. It's so, and the worst thing about teams like City with so many resources, and don't get me wrong, amazing team. Yes, we know that. Incredibly well coached. And one of the great teams of the era. But the, the, the horrible thing about a team that were resources, you know you're only getting one chance against yeah. them. You don't have to tell me, mate. I was there for the semi-final when we played City. And you knew. And I knew because we conceded after three minutes. It was funny. The guy I went with, I said, no early goal and we'll be all right. They score after three minutes. Kevin De Bruyne puts a ball in from heaven and you're like, great. Second half, we had a header going in, cleared off the line, right, by Laporte, I think. And that was it. Everyone in the Brighton stand was like, that was it. That was the moment. And we we pushed and we tried, but no chance came. And you know when the chance comes. Yeah, You have to take it. 
back. And I look at the Watford fans and I think it must have been so much harder when you get drubbed. Brutal. But, but to still be on, at least yeah. you are still there cheering that team on at the end, you know. And and of course you're going to sit there thinking, what about that chance in the opening ten minutes? But it was kind of like they in that scenario. It's just like we spoke about this in regards to Liverpool not winning the league. It's kind of like, well, what what more could they really have done? Like really, you know. No team yeah. in the history of football, I think, has ever. I think I read this right. No team in the history of football has ever not won the title after losing one game in a league season. Yeah. The best second place team of all time. One of the best football teams of all time. Yeah. That Liverpool team team in terms of its balance its attack its quality that, that they lost the best game of the season mm. by a very small margin yeah, the yeah. best game of the season I mean the quality of that football there was a there was a moment actually when it was Raheem Sterling was out on the left flank and was pulling away finding incredible at finding space Raheem Sterling I think his movement is still the most underrated part of his game his movement Absolutely. is unreal and at the, the final moments of that game and he was like pulling out to the left and finding the space and I was thinking City are really being hounded because they're being stretched to that extent. Mm. And that was it. That's no margin for error. And, you know, Liverpool fans will look at that and be a bit gutted. But one thing before we go back, Pep will get knackered and Pep will leave and Liverpool will win. I, I can easily see them winning two of the next three league titles. Where was the only place that he did a fourth season? And we all know what happened there. Exactly. Should have gone. Should have gone. Listen to Johan, Pep. Well, listen, we know that Johan listens to this podcast. Shout out, my man. Yeah, he's listening Aww. somewhere. Come on. Yeah, Johan. He's a... Sitting on a triangle so. somewhere, on a chalkboard. Anyway, uh, back to, sorry, focus, Mr. Focus. This back to the FA Cup final. Uh, City were imperious. Um, and what was weird about the game was they, they walked pretty much every goal into the net. Yeah. This was the scary thing about the 6-0. It wasn't like, you know, in a 6-0, you normally have a couple of strikes from distance or team goals that... This was like they were, it was training ground stuff. Was this the greatest substitute appearance of all time from oh, Kevin De Bruyne? Is all right? N- n- no, because they... <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't bad. Only, no, only because the will was already broken by the time he came on. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. don't, I, I, love, I love what he did as in a football But it sense. didn't really matter at that point. It they'd was just broken, glass on top. They'd broken them. Yeah. It was like watching France Iceland in that Euros. You know, when Iceland were brilliant at pressing... Yeah. And they were so well drilled. But what happened was France basically came out for the first time and maybe only time in its international career. Deschamps was like, the only way to beat these guys is to play even faster than the press. And so he just basically sped up everything and everything was like one touch and they just blitzed them. And I think watching City, City were like, we're just going to go into hyperdrive. There is a weird thing about this City season though, where everything has felt inevitable, maybe apart from the Champions League. Yeah. Like it kind of feels like, you know, you seen like a, a wildlife documentary and they're talking about like a big python and it catches its prey yeah. and it's like, you know, the deer won't be dead for nine hours. Yeah. It'll slowly oh, yeah. constrict it. It's like, that's what watching a city game's like for me. It's kind of, you kind of know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And it, like from a basketball, right, we talk about the NBA loads on this. It's like, it's basically playing in half court. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's just plays, 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 oh, plays, plays. And it's, like as a football fan, it's really hard to juggle those feelings in a way because I love Pep. He's obviously a genius. In order to completely act out the things that he wants players to do, you're going to need really good players, which now as a Premier League side cost us a huge amount of money. Yeah. But I think now, I can't remember who posted it on Twitter. I think it might have been Sana Qureshi said that a lot of the stuff that's coming out now about the finances, where it comes from, and actually you know, going in a little bit on what happens behind the scenes has only really started to happen in the last season or two, as you can see all of those systems and the structure that they've put in place now 
potentially dominating the Premier League. It's weird because it's become impossible to ignore. That's why it's being, you know, because people have written books about this. James Montague's written a book, mm. I think, Billionaires Club, whatever. Yeah. Um, who else has been covering this? James Masters has been covering it. Philippe O'Claire. Many writers. I mean, Dave Zirin, Edge of Sports. All yeah. of so it's almost like I'm a little bit. Some might say, "Oh, you know, you're a curmudgeon. Like you should be happy people now embracing." It. I'm like, why does the tooth have to rot? for people to go to the dentist. Why can't you just be like, oh, actually, you know, there's a bit of a tingle. Yeah, be proactive. Yeah, like, and I'm slightly frustrated because when you talk about this stuff, oh, you're a killjoy, you're like, and then now you're still talking about it. The people talking about it are being seen as, they're being called killjoys because no one paid attention before. But look at the reaction to Rob Harris asking that question at press conference. Absolutely shocking. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we recorded and I'm saying that whilst I agree with that kind of question being asked at some point, I kind of wonder whether it was wise to ask it then. You know, when sometimes you see the, like the pushback, especially with all this stuff that's going around about the anti-city agenda, which I don't buy, obviously. I mean, every fan assumes that the media is biased against their club. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the top six sides. Of course. Someone said actually journalists tend to overcompensate against their clubs. And I know that for a fact. There's a couple of journalists you'll see. You wouldn't yeah. believe who they supported, given how much they go after the teams. Yeah. But back to this whole thing. I mean, Rob Harris asking the question about, you know, Guardiola being paid or being funded in certain ways. If the scoreline had been... 2-1, then the question might have felt strange because the inequality was so clear. Yeah. It almost begged the question. It was like, this disparity is now so glaring. I think Ken Early wrote a great piece where he said, yeah. he, he, he said, look, they, they brought on three players. Each of them would have been Watford's best player. Yeah, but it was 6-0, right? Right. But Arsenal beat Villa 4-0 a few years ago. It was pretty much as one-sided in terms of like how the game played out. Using that game as as the reason to then start questioning it, I just think is, I don't I mean, buy that. What was funny was Miguel Delaney's response. He said um, on Twitter, you know, perhaps we should have got into this a bit earlier, um, you know, around the Abramovich era. Now, look, Miguel and I were writing around the Abramovich era, and I remember very clearly the first person, and to his credit, because I've criticised him very often, I think for good reason in subsequent years, the first person to really come out and critique Abramovich was uh, Matthew Syed who came out on Sky Sports and talked about the source of Ramrich's funding being... Problematic. You know, yeah, problematic. So don't you think it's also easy to get into a routine of writing and doing those pieces that, oh, Sterling was great and City won 6-0 and I only want to address that aspect. And it's a lot easier to to do that. I know mean, I've, I've been in situations where I've reviewed games and said, oh yeah, of course, you know, I just want to talk about the sport. But actually there were human factors or, you know, background factors that play a massive role but you don't touch them. I think that actually football writers are a lot more conscious. Okay. And I think it's a conscious choice in a lot of cases to avoid the political stuff mm. because they're like... To play it safe. Yeah. I, don't, well, I think it's conscious. Also though, I think, I, think, I think a lot of it is down to the governing bodies to allow these kind of environments to, to like flourish in a way. You've seen how, I mean, the last decade, especially the funneling of money to a really small pool of clubs and the possibility of winning trophies to an ever closing, what's the word I'm trying to, reducing. They'd have a small group. Yeah, cl of, of clubs. For competition, that's really bad news. These kind of things going on, it's only ever too late before anyone really starts talking about it in a way to change it. I just, I'm, I'm sorry to be cynical about this, but. The, I'm not one of the biggest journalists writing about this stuff. And that frustrates me. I, I do wish that I were more senior because I could just have a bigger platform to talk about this mm. stuff. I do wish I was more senior because the people at the very top of the journalism tree should have been hollering about this stuff continuously 
for the longest time. Absolutely. Mm. Because what that does is it, it normalizes the discourse. Whereas now it yeah. just looks like, oh, you're having a go at City. If people had really done the work, if they talked about the catastrophe, and t- it's always the same few people. Well, yeah. No, I mean, re- no, but it, it's, it's, it's a thing. Like, and also, this kind of, there was a question from Justin Salhani that we had, yeah. which was, should we try and hold people who go to work for these institutions accountable? Or also, you know, he asked kind of two questions. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but like something about, the responsibility of fans as well. Mm. I think this is really interesting because it's then you're asking fans to delve into areas of stuff that they shouldn't have to just as football fans. Well, mm. you see, that's why I disagree because what football, football fans, football fans, what is a football team? It is a sports team that represents the community. Mm-hmm. It should be. Yeah. And maybe that's because I've been in Germany too long, but all, all German football fans support their team because the values that they feel are important are reflected in the football club that they support. They stand for all of the things that I want to as a club. They play the football I want to. And there's there's a feeling of I'm a part of something here. I'm a family right. moving forward. My voice is heard. I get to have a say in what happens. And that's where I think the conversation is harder to have in the Premier League because you don't have that basis. But that's right? what I'm kind of that's mean. What, so basically like, because the, the, that culture hasn't been there for quite a- Or it's been a, killed. Or it's been killed. Yes, yes. And then also, you know, some, especially looking at City as an isolated incident. Mm. You know, I went to a City game a few months ago and there were a couple of guys sat in front of me and they kept referencing old games and they were talking about yeah. the old days. And I think that's because they felt more connected. Oh, yeah. it's, it's not fair on them to then have to leap through. No, but every thing, choice you, you make know, in today's world is a choice that affects capitalism. And I say in the Western world, right? So if you as a football mm. fan feel like the, the club that you support, okay, it's winning all the time, but if, you're, if we're assuming this conversation is about football fans who are not just about the winning because mm. the football fan is a very diverse, complex person. Mm. So if you're assuming that a football fan is looking to reestablish their connection with the football club, then you have to make a choice. And the, the best way to make that choice is not supporting the team. Yeah. Don't go to the games. Don't buy the kit. Mm. If you don't feel that your values or the values of the community that you think the football team should be representing are not being represented and you feel that your football club is doing things that are morally wrong, the easiest way to vote against that or to show your displeasure against that is not to support the football club. If any City fans are listening to this podcast at this point, you know, knowing that I'm a United fan, what I would say is this. There are incredible stories coming out of Manchester City. Vincent Company. I mean, who could you couldn't want a better club captain on or off the field. You could not want a better sort of story arc than Raheem Sterling. Um, someone that went there and really maximised his career. It sounds ridiculous. And like but even, the fo- some of the football st- st- stuff that they have done has been genuinely brilliant. I've unbelievable. Done, I've done stuff I mean, with them. I've done, I've done stuff with them on the, on the social programmes, the local stuff. The quality of the hires, the quality of the community projects is like, they've hired some of the very best people to do this stuff. So you can look at it and be like, this is great. But at the same time, we have to embrace complexity. And if we're going to get anywhere with this conversation, we have to keep being complex. Yeah. And look, Manchester United and my club but I'm still having to think about, you know, if they get bought up by Saudi, mm. which frankly is one of, the, one of the few institutions or countries that can afford to buy them. Countries. Sorry, just let me just go back. Yeah, I know. Isn't countries it crazy that we're talking clubs, about yeah. countries buying football clubs now? I mean, Arsene Wenger, bring back the man of the hour on the podcast. I think he said this a couple of years ago about Paris Saint-Germain. He said, to be honest, when, when countries are funding clubs, we should stop. This visionary, this man. I know. What a man. I want to just circle back really quickly, going back to what I said at the beginning. There's a thing in England where, like John said, you know, that used to be there. Mm. And I think the culture in Germany, like you see with Bayern Munich, for example, protesting against 
things that the club do, they get listened to. Yeah, because you know. 50 plus one is valid. Exactly. Yeah. And it's still there. Whereas like I think that in, because that has been eroded in the Premier League, you know, there aren't any real like organised fan groups that have dialogue with no. the clubs on the whole. You know, there will be undoubtedly some kind of somewhere. When the fans don't have that voice, then it then just becomes about the football. Do you know what I mean? Because that's all they've kind of got in terms of the connection with the club. So then to go from that, when there's no dialogue at all, to then start having dialogue about something so far removed from how it's been moved for years and years, that's where I think it's like unfair to solely rely on fans. And that's where the governing bodies really have to take more of a control. There are times when I really do worry about football, like severely. And... If I'm being perfectly honest, I can't think about it too long because otherwise it will just completely suck any enjoyment out of it. How about a segue to something which is uniquely joyful, and that is Jonathan Harding's new book, Mench Beyond (laughs) the Cones. Segue, I've been reading Jonathan's book. Jonathan, your book is wonderful. I'm about a fifth of the way into it. And it's great. It's a kind of, I'll let you describe it, but it's, it's about German football and coaching, but it's about more if that makes sense. It's like, it's a universal book, I feel. Well, that's very kind of you to say, yeah. It feels like a universal book because it took such a long time to write. (laughs) How how would you describe it? How would you break it down for us? If I had to say it in a sentence, I want this book to change the culture. I want people to realise that we need to talk about people more in football, in sport generally, but particularly from the managerial perspective, I think the conversation around players and mental health is already beginning and has improved. There's a long way to go. But I think from a managerial perspective, you have to start to appreciate at the top level, being a manager is about looking after people. Right. And I think what you said earlier about Pep being a genius, I think what he does so well is that he is able to show individuals how he can improve them as professional footballers. Now, I wonder what he's like as a human being to other human beings. I imagine he's extremely demanding and expects a great deal. But when I look at coaches who really at the top level have understood that it's about nurturing the soul of a human in those situations. Because I think sometimes we forget just because they're paid lots of money and they live a life that we can't imagine. It doesn't mean that they don't have the same issues. It doesn't mean that they don't carry the same problems. And that goes for players as it does for managers. Mm. So it's I, funny, reading, I opening chapters, that. reading your book, uh, reading your opening chapters, and I'm like, oh, it's a football book. Yes, you see the cover. It's got this great sort of retro German football kit from the like World Cup ninety, I think it is. Or yeah, colors. and you're reading this book. Sorry, like, can I? It's a very, very nice cover. Wonderful. Yeah, so, That's yeah. off to Mick. Yeah, for, yeah. Ever for went nuts job. on that about Twitter? Yeah. I would love a hoodie like that. Actually, just in case you've got a hoodie. So just, just a thought for you there. there you just go. Merch Thank you. Musa takes twenty percent afterwards. <laughs> a, prayer, a prayer to the merch gods. Musa's is such an entrepreneur. Listen, <laughs> listen. Like Dragons Den. We're, we're, writing, like, we're yeah. writing the contract up now. Talk to my bank manager. I'm not an entrepreneur. I tell you that. Goodness, you talk so much about the human element and it reminded me and I of the very best tradition of football books and I put you know although it's very early days in terms of reading it I put it in the same category in terms of how it feels like a David Winner type book where it's That's not so much about football <laughs> it's not so much football and I love David Winner's work as many know um the great man himself David Winner um it's anthropology examined through football for me the best books about sport are not about sport they're about That's the human exactly condition right. and this book is absolutely about the human condition and it's fun it's a really fun book it's not only fun because of the way it's written it, it, it talks very amusingly about sort of the passions of these like amateur football coaches but also like more professional coaches but the amateur managers they're professional in their outlook what's great is like the exploration of the german language 
there's a great book you talk about mm. the word passion mm. is Leidenschaft. And that's like, passion is like involves suffering. Leiden is like suffering. Yeah. And like, this is great because it's really under the skin of German culture. I thank you for all of the things you've said. And, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that reflected. I think when you work on something for so long and then you send it out to the world, there's obviously a slight sort of apprehension about mm. how it's going to be viewed and whether what you really want to say comes across. It's out two days or a day after the Champions League final. Oh, fantastic. Um, right. So, but the pre-order is already open. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to see it get to this stage because it's taken so long, but yeah, starting a conversation like that as an individual is, is not an easy thing to do. And doing the research for the book was very hard because as one person who hasn't got a very big reputation, going to football clubs and going to people, I'll be honest, people don't care. Uh, it was very difficult to get interviews. Really? For, yeah. But you've been here for a fair, I mean, Jonathan, been, you've been here for a fair while. I, though, I've been general. here for a while and my German is pretty good. So it is hard, but you know, football, and this is a whole other podcast in itself, but mm. I think the football world, especially football clubs, have become distinctly aware of their importance, perhaps too aware of how important they are or they consider themselves to be. And therefore, as just a man who's writing a book, who's never written a book before, you don't have the gravitas to get in. I'm and- slightly surprised to hear this. No, no offense, because no, you've been here for all. a fair while. Yeah, you've it's- done the rounds, you're well connected at certain clubs. Yeah, it's hard. And I think sometimes those connections, I mean, I had good connections at some clubs and then they changed their media offices and then you lose that relationship, of course. And then somebody new comes in and it's hard to reform that stuff. But that didn't deter me. And I don't want to sound like, oh, woe betide me, because actually that motivated me to 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 write the book slightly differently. Mm. And I would love to have gotten some bigger names in there, but in the end, I'm actually really happy with the names that I have got because this book is really about the people behind the managers as much as it is about the managers because I think often we only really talk about head coaches as an isolated person when they are in fact a part of a much bigger team and the end result on the pitch is as a result of a number of people's work put together. So speaking to people who, you know, speaking to Frank Vormut who coaches the coaches, Yes. In Germany, you know, that's really interesting. Speaking to people who started out and basically created the video ana- analysis job in Germany and then ended up becoming assistant managers, you know, speaking to people who've done the development, even speaking to Hannes Wolf, he's one of the coaches I spoke to, is really interesting off the back of the season he's just had with Hamburg. You know, he, he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, I took the stairs, not the lift. Wow. And, you know, there are a lot of coaches. That's poetry. Like Sari, Sari did that. Who get the, the lift. Mm ordered for them and i do go after some people in the uk who think that coaches who are ex-players should be given preferential treatment because i totally disagree with that do you think that great politicians make great prime ministers do you think the great journalists make great editors absolutely not they are two different jobs Completely different. And I think you have to stop viewing it that way. And I and I, I you know, at the same time, I'm delighted that Frank Lampard is doing well, but I think if you take a deeper dive into how well he's doing, there may be some question marks there. Mm. Steven Gerrard, I'm glad that he's getting that opportunity, but I would say in the same breath, there are more experienced, well, maybe not more experienced, yeah, more experienced, more qualified coaches out there who haven't got the name of Steven Gerrard. So we have to review the process. This is why I will always I will always root for Sarri. For, we've made different critiques of Sarri, but the fact that he basically was in the footballing wilderness and it's basically there just because he was just brilliant year in, year out, all these like small, does that make sense? Mm. That's something that I've been quite passionate about you know, and trying to put forward and we, we need to change the culture and Manchester United is actually a very, a very interesting example in this case because 
The conversation around the club in the last few months has been quite difficult to hear. And obviously, Gary Neville's got an opinion on just about everything that goes on in that club. But really, the conversation that we're not necessarily having is, a, is the recruitment setup. Right. And I think this extends to the conversation about managers completely. Often you always hear this thing where Pep Guardiola, well, he would coach anywhere and be successful anywhere. Was like, no, you need to start looking at coaches as isolated specialties, basically. Right. Guardiola is able to coach at the top level because he's got great experience of working with the best players in the world. He is not your relegation avoiding manager. He's not your yeah. scrape into the Europa League manager. So there are different specialties for different coaches. So you have to know that when you make the appointment. When you make the appointment, you have to be thorough in your recruitment process. You have to be clear about what your philosophy is for the club. And these are all questions I don't think are being asked, let alone answered at Manchester United, for example. Well, right? I agree, I agree. So I agree. if you don't know those things, is it any surprise that when you make the appointments or the decisions that you make, that they don't work? Right? The appointment of Solskjaer works because what you do there is you remove a manager who has had a negative influence on the mood of the players and Ultimately, one thing we never talk about in football is that the manager is always the one who takes the blame, right? Who always gets sacked. Players never get sacked because it's much easier to remove a manager than it is to replace a team. So that means as a player, you know you're never going to get blamed. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because you know, you know, okay, we haven't played bad, we've not played well, but the manager will go. New guy comes in, everyone has to start again, everyone has to impress the new manager. Normal process. Sauce guy comes in, impress the new manager, everybody's excited, five weeks of enjoyment, thank you very much. What happens when we realize tactical limitations or did we appoint the right guy? Then you go back to the same thing I was just talking about, which is philosophy. Is that set? Do we know where we're going? Is he the right man based on recruitment? All of these decisions or all of these questions have to be made beforehand. And I see it so often, not just in Premier League teams, but in Bundesliga teams as well. We were talking about earlier on the podcast, how many managers have left this season as well or mm -hmm. are leaving now, even though they've done well. You have to ask, why were they even appointed in the first place if the recruitment wasn't right? You should be looking for long-term stability. Agreed, there are going to be times where personal situations come in. Look, for example, Bruno Labbadia is leaving Wolfsburg because he's fallen out with the sporting director, Jörg Schmacker. Fine, you can have that situation. But on the whole, the basis of recruitment needs to be better. And I think the questions that are being asked are often the wrong questions. You, you know, know, it's funny. When we recruit in the corporate world, um, well, I used to work in the corporate world, you, you can headhunt someone for two years. Guardiola's appointment was actually done as you do a proper CEO appointment. Take your time, yeah. Two, three years, that guy was being identified. Nagelsmann, another example. Or you could say, you know, on the, on the, on the, on the playing field, Naby Keita was secured Absolutely. a long time in advance Absolutely. and Klopp had an idea of what he wanted the team to be 18 months yeah. from now. Klopp's planning, I was talking to uh, Neil Atkinson, who writes the Anfield Rap, um, who you can find on Knox Harrington at Twitter, Knox underscore Harrington. And we were chatting and he said the quality of, of, of Klopp's squad selection, rotation, everything was just pitch perfect this year. And, you know, what I love about the book you've written is it brings us back to this meticulous planning, not just of, of not just of people as cogs in a system, but as humans in a system. And that's the most important thing. You know, humans in a human system. And, you know, the clubs which are failing this year have not taken account of the human element, I think. No. Not at all. I and mean, I think that's why someone like Klopp is such, just how he kind of gets the bigger picture, I think, which is quite rare for a manager operating at that level, especially in the Premier League. Well, the great moment when they were like, oh, he was, they were interviewing at Anfield about a lot of different things, Mo Salah's um, season. And then they asked him about Brexit and he goes, I don't want to discuss Brexit. And then he goes into like a 10 minute discourse about it. And I'm like, the fact that he just went into that, but talked about it in the context of 
you know, Britain's standing in Europe and in the world in a way that was so inclusive. So even if you disagreed with me, you'd be like, this guy is not just here for the football. You know, he gets it. Yeah. I mean, I might be wrong. I don't know the guy. And, um, but like, I mean, just judging his, you know, there was a really good um, interview with him on DW actually a few weeks ago. A video interview was about 20 minutes long on kickoff, I think it was. Yeah. And, you know, for a guy who's pushing at the very, very top of the Premier League, you talk about recruitment. I personally believe that like Klopp to Liverpool is one of the best top level pieces of recruitment in a Premier League club. There's for, a lot of as Wenger long as about I can him. remember. Yeah. There's a lot of Wenger about him, actually. I think it's in many ways. I think the slate most, was a little bit yeah. Yeah, like bl more blank for Arsenal at the time because it was a bit of a yeah. free hit. It was yeah. so an unknown thing. But I think, you know, Liverpool and, and Klopp is just... It's perfection, isn't it? It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, one of the things about him that I think people underestimate is that you know, this conversation around Klopp and not having won anything in a long time. He's already won for me at Liverpool. I agree. We're having a conversation about Liverpool playing some of the best football in Europe. The atmosphere at Anfield is what we always remember it, it being. Right. Back in those golden days yep. he has re-established the connection with the community he has reinvigorated a team and a community and Completely. their connection yeah and he's got them playing some of the most exciting football in europe it, that's a win that's mm -hmm. that's the win Completely because agree. going back to what you were saying earlier ryan i imagine liverpool fans are no longer sat in the stands remembering games from previous seasons yeah right exactly. you're talking about city fans. Yeah, yeah. they are living those games yeah. now yeah. and that's the difference because and i imagine it's the same for you both but your greatest memories as being football fans are not about winning the trophy yeah my greatest memories of being a brighton fan are not about even winning games they're mm. about the drama or the story or the moments along the way mm. i think liverpool have already got that because klopp understands that and you look at all the teams he's been with. He won't ever coach a team that he doesn't have that connection with. He won't coach anywhere else in England. That's he why he didn't go coach... to United. He was like, the energy is not right. I don't think, I don't think not, he'll coach anywhere else. He won't coach it, anywhere in Germany. Definitely not in Germany. Oh. And, and that's because he understands the connection between the two. Look at the way he left Mainz. Look at the way he left Dortmund. What he did in, and now at Liverpool, whenever he leaves, because, you know, at some point he will, he has reestablished the passion and the love in that place. And that's... That's the most important thing. Quickly, before we move on, have you got uh, where people can pre-order? Uh, yeah, over at Oakley Books. Um, there's Oakley's a link on... O-C-K-L-E-Y. L-E-Y, absolutely, yeah. Oakley Books. And yeah, we'll and also put a link on the site and on the, the Twitter when we post it. It will be on Amazon soon. Uh, it's just that Jeff Bezos is uh, not taking my calls at the moment. <laughs> oh, wow. Before I forget, you can find John on Twitter at JohnBlog66, J-O-N-Blog66. Let's take another quick break. Let's do it. All right, back from the break. Yep, yep. And in and you're back from Budapest. I am back from Budapest. Went to the Women's Champions League final this weekend. Had a lovely, lovely weekend. It was actually a pretty inspiring weekend. I have to shout out Nike Football for inviting me along. They had a really good weekend planned with the partner with UEFA on the Women's Champions League. And it was the first Women's Champions League final held in its own, well, separate city to the men's. Because so they normally do the women's one three days before the men's, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, in stark contrast to what John was saying about access and stuff to <laughs> teams and players just a really great atmosphere and players milling around chatting to people outside hotels chatting to people at these you know i had a day-long event thing on saturday where there was loads of panels called the we play strong loads of amazing people talking uh players ex-players you met a couple of like, cool people didn't you i bumped into manuela zinsberger who's just who had signed for arsenal the day before from bayern and i walked around 
the corner of the bar and she was just kind of stood there and I did this. <gasps> oh, yeah. hi. Like, really sorry to do this. And I kind of just was like, I'm an Arsenal fan. You As know. a Wolfsburg Ultra, I'm less impressed by that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it was, I had a really amazing chat with Nadia Nadim, who um, mm. was a really, really good chat. We just chatted football, but she was on the panel that day as well. It was really cool. But then, yeah, the game itself, unfortunately, wasn't as much of a spectacle in terms of a footballing sense because very much like the FA Cup. Leon are just the best team in the world. Leon are the best team in the world. And yeah, that one, right one flank. Four, one can I just can I just say specifically that was at Van den Sanden and Lucy Bronze. Mm. The right the it's Leon right flank in that team. is brutal. But that in particular, so we went to the, the quarters. The Wolfsburg um, game, yeah. And Wolfsburg were really fantastic. They got two goals in five minutes. But just the intensity. You know, they, they talk about the extra gear. Mm. When Leon come for you down the right like that, yeah. there is very little because it's not, do you know what it is? There are certain teams where they almost use the baseline. You look at a basketball analogy. Very few teams are good enough to attack the baseline at absolute high speed. Leon is so good. They will press you and stretch you so high up on the right. Most teams can't do that. And the, the way they overlap and overload the right is just, there's no answer for it. I mean, there's you no can just, the, on the side of the Barca bus, um, they had the thing, uh, like a tagline saying the final is just the beginning. And yeah. I think that's really key to point out here. There was a lot of people kind of talking about Leon's dominance and not really seeing it in the wider context of the game, which is that Leon have been full-time and had serious investment yeah, for over a decade investment. now. Yeah. They're fully integrated into the men's side of the club. It's like, you know, the facilities are the same and Barca are only four or five years into being professional. So mm. they're kind of where Leon were pre the Leon dominance. So it's really important to remember that because they are off operating on very different timelines. I think Barca will get there. It's mm. inevitable that Barca will get there. But in terms of the actual game, you can just see that. Two Barca, different development cycles. Yeah, and just the, just that that gap. And it was really subtle things. It was almost like, you know, Tony Duggan had a really good opportunity actually to put Barca ahead. And very similar to the FA Cup final, Missed it. I kind of turned to a couple of people who sat next to me and I was like, that's, that's, the, one. that's the one. Leon scored quite early. Ada Hagerberg got her 17-minute hat-trick in yeah. the first half. And then the second half was very much played out as if it was like... You know, it's you funny know, though, Barcelona the made the, pro the problem, the Liverpool problem is that um, certain teams will show you the weakness. Hmm. So they will, uh, with, with the Leon, they play the high line, right? If you get in behind Leon, then you have opportunities. And you might say, well, they relaxed after going up by so many goals. But if you look at the team that Barca ended with, it was almost like, could they have started with that forward line to an extent? Mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being unfair. I think, I think, I mean, I think Tony Duggan was Barca's best player right. on the day. She was relentless in her work rate. The collective pressing of, of Leon was quite overwhelming for Barca it's at times. Yeah. And from a Barca point of view, it wasn't really there. One of the people who was doing it a lot was Tony Duggan. You know, Leaky Martins was quite quiet until the second half. Maybe a little bit disappointing because you would have expected more from her in the final. Right. There's links of her going to Leon potentially in the summer. Wow, because they need more players. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that was a little bit frustrating from a Barca point of view, I can imagine, is that when they got into semi-decent positions, they were just kind of hitting crosses in. Mm to Tony Duggan, who is being marked nine times out of ten by Wendy Renard, who is just a real aerial presence. Yeah. So getting balls in the box high wasn't really the I way to do the it. finishing was not and brutal. They, and they actually cut, when they did cut Leon open a couple of times in the second half, it was by driving, like Leaky Martin set up yeah. the, the goal and she drove. And that's where you can catch Leon because they do come so high. Like yeah. Lucy Bronze is right up the pitch, yeah. you know. And if you can get him behind, the problem is that Leon collectively defends so well 
that it is really, really it was making hard me, to it do. Was, it was like Jonathan Wilson but, used to write about how, you know, in Barcelona's peak years, yeah. how, oh, just find space behind Danny Alves. And it was always the thing. And he, he would joke. Like, you, like, you'd find space oh, yeah, behind Danny Alves. You can't. <laughs> you, you can't and he would, Jonathan would joke about this. He'd be like, everyone knows that's where the space is, but you can't get it. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry to be a homer, but Lucy Bronze, it was the first time I seen her live. She's unbelievable. Genuinely mind-blowing. The, yeah, the, yeah. Also, shout out to Lucy Bronze for her human side by yeah. going to Tony Duggan afterwards and saying, don't worry, we'll win the World Cup together this summer. Oh, that's class. Lucy Bronze is a G. She's Don. a straight-up G. Absolute Don. Yeah. I haven't even really mentioned her apart from the hat-trick, but Ada Hagerberg in person as well is one of the most dominant footballers I think I've ever seen on a football really? pitch. Wow. Yeah. Such a shame that she won't be at the World Cup, but I can also totally understand why. Yeah. What was it? Her ability to find space? Was it It's just, there's like a real presence there. I mean, to be honest, the thing about Leon in person, like watching them, you know, like the best teams that you can kind of go back to, they just have this aura about them and it's almost intangible a lot of the time. Yeah. The stuff they're doing on the pitch is, is better than the opposition, but there's just this, like this swagger and it's almost, I don't want to sound like such an idiot, but it's like, it's in the air. And there's just yeah. this, like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Like, yeah. They like, came out in beast mode, One though. Chance. They came out in beast mode. They're going to go down as all-time best in their positions. You know, there are certain great teams where yeah. you look at them and you're like, actually, you can look at that team of 11, 11 players. Maybe six or seven of those, eight might be all time. Yeah, yeah I mean, and, that, and you're talking about one of the greatest Leon teams yeah. of all time, if not the best Leon team of all time, if not the best women's club team right. of all time. I mean, Maybe I with Arsenal's yeah. uh, quadruple. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, I mean, 100%. you're talking about teams on that level. But yeah, so very, very thoroughly deserved win for Leon. And actually, I think that it's one of those rare instances in football that I actually think their dominance is going to be long term beneficial to the women's game because I think it shows you what's possible the benefits of complete integration well to your point about the human side they've taken real care of that yeah they're professionals like treat them so yeah it's funny because one of the chapters in the book one of the people I speak to is actually the head coach of Leverkusen's women's team and um, she talks about how 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 grateful she is that Leverkusen support the notion of a women's team because I think too often Bundesliga teams know they're not going to make a profit with the women's team. Mm. So then the question there, rather cynically and wrongly, in my opinion, is, well, if we're not going to make a profit, why do we have it? Mm. Well, it comes back to your values and community you're talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. You yeah. come back to values and yeah. come back to community and come back to what is the, the message that you want to send. Mm-hmm. You know, your community doesn't just support men. Yeah. You know, if you're a football community, it supports everybody right. in that yeah. community. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway. But anyway. yeah, in short, a really, really incredible weekend. It was genuinely inspiring and... Yeah, really, really kind of great experience and great atmosphere around the whole game and stuff like that. And obviously watching Leon play live, that's like a dynastic side, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, roll on the World Cup. Absolutely. We've I, run extremely long. I think how we should get out of here. We should let we? Jonathan we should go. Have, we'll leave Jonathan to Wales. Um, so. Just a quick one before we do go. If yeah. there was any uh, loud rain heard in the background or thunder, then yeah, apologies. We had a bit of a storm go over. So Yeah, yeah. Could be my rumbly tummy as well. Who knows? Mooses had two coffees and one meal. Tashin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going to get out of here. Before we go, please find us on Twitter at Robonamag, Facebook at Robonamag, and also on Instagram. Uh, thank you so much, the wonderful Jonathan Harding, for joining us, gracing us with his presence. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Cheers, dude. Ryan, it's always a pleasure to be in your presence. I know I take you for granted. Because, oh, likewise, you know, dude. But, oh, yeah. I'm emotional here. You get here, yeah. You don't want to come, become complacent after a year. No, exactly. Doing the podcast. It's, it's a pleasure. Always got to keep the romance alive. <laughs> yes. And on that, on that wonderful heartwarming note, see you next week. Take care.